Hello. Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Sarah Black. And I'm Jeffrey Lilly. And today we are going to be tackling yet another Salem Witch Trials victim, Giles Corey. The infamous, well, one of the most, maybe the most. Definitely. I think he's probably one of the most popular, well-known characters from this story. I put out a couple hours ago to our Instagram followers a little poll that said, do you believe in the curse of Giles Corey? Yes. The options were yes, no, and who's Giles Corey? No one picked the third option, which (laughs) I was pleased to see, but a vast majority, over 80%, agreed that there was a curse so it's fun to believe in curses we will definitely be talking about that curse tonight today this morning afternoon evening no (laughs) (laughs) it's 4 p.m whenever whenever you are listening we are talking right yes but before we get into that we got a little tour time and housekeeping stuff to take care of so what do you got you got a good story i had a couple good stories okay what do you got hit me so (laughs) I had a group on tour that stayed back and they wanted to tell me the funny story of their first experience in Salem. And they came here in the early 2000s. I think it was maybe on Halloween day, like they were in it. So they pull up, they've got like four people in their car. The folks on the driver's side get out and then the folks on the passenger side, they're just sitting in the car. And she's like, what? what are they waiting for? Like, what's going on? And they're waiting, they're waiting. It's like, come on, get out. And after a couple of minutes, they finally get out of the car. And she says, yeah, there was actually two people bloodletting on the sidewalk right outside the door. So we couldn't really move. And I was like, wait, what? And she said, there was a couple that was taking their blood out and putting it into vials. Much like Machine Gun Kelly and Megan Fox. But yeah, right there on the street. How crazy. So I'm I'm here for it. I know, that is kind of your thing. But, like, <laughs> may, maybe in a sterile-ish yeah. environment. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't even, like, you can just do it in, in, in your living room. Right, like, or, why they wanted the full... But I'm curious where that was. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's loads of places. Like, the, I, I guess if you're going to, like, have a little ritual about it, like, maybe in one of the bearing points. Right. Go maybe, to the graveyard. Um, Somewhere at night, out on the wharf, on the beach. Uh, You know, there's loads of places. In front of the witch house. There, There's loads of places. But just, like, on the sidewalk is... Bizarre? A little weird. <laughs> a little weird. Yeah, my mouth dropped. And then I had another also very spooky, it's spooky season, right? We can tell creepy stories. I had a listener, two listeners on tour. They had taken your tour and actually took Mike's as well. So they hit all three of ours. Really cool. I asked them if there was much crossover and they said, no, it's, you guys give three different interpretations. So it was really fun to hear the different perspectives. Did they take my night? Tour. They took your day tour. They did. Okay. Yep. And then they took Mike right, that right. next night. And uh, I think they took me the next day. But they hung back and they said, you know, we really wanted to share this with you. When you were talking about your sleep paralysis, and I think we discussed this during the familiars episode, and then again with Mike, my experience with sleep paralysis, I'm not paralyzed. I 
find myself in this limbo between deep sleep and being awake. My eyes are open. I see the hallucination and I usually act on it because I'm not paralyzed. And they told me that he does the same thing. It was a couple. And I was like, oh, and he says, I've never, I've never met anyone else that has experienced this before. So we're chatting, we're chatting. He'll get up and interact with his partner. And they tell me one of the most recent and scariest ones that happened. She was woken up in the middle of the night by him sitting up. And he's like, they're in the corner. They're in the corner. And he's kind of freaking out, pointing in the corner. And she's like, they're not there. There's nothing there. Go back to sleep. She goes back to sleep. She wakes up to him a couple minutes later, a couple inches in front of her face, just hovering over her. And she, he says, they're still there. Ugh. No. That, to, to be fair, that, that sort of reminds me of my ex. What? Uh, I told you. She really? used to see things. Have I not? No, you this? have not. Oh, I know. I know I have. I don't think so. Okay. At night? Yeah. So it's like the same thing. Like yeah, you, yeah. you see she something, like, but you are not. She'd like sit up and she was asleep. So there was no talking to her. There was no communicating with her. And she would see things in the room and like sometimes get up, sometimes like sit on the end of the bed. I guess oftentimes what she saw was on the end of the bed. Ugh. Um and and would like follow it around the room but she was she was not conscious what do you do during that Nothing, you just sit like, there and deal with it yeah <laughs> like, and she told me she's like don't try and w- i guess it's not good to wake the person i've always um, been told that but like what's the worst that could happen I, I don't know uh so i just let her just do it just what one time whatever she was watching uh went under the bed so no like no. She like got off the bed and like got down and like looked under the bed. That was that was weird. I'm like you're not. She's not there. Like she, she was asleep. Right. So yeah, that was the the two kind of spooky stories that I was told. How about you? Did you have any fun interactions on tours? It did. No spooky stories. Sorry. Um, I don't think. Right. It's getting crowded out there. Yeah. So a. First and foremost, <laughs> if you're listening, if you're fans of the podcast, if you're fans of Salem, you're planning to come in October, whew, <laughs> it's getting busy. Uh, I'm just, just fair warning. Parking is already a problem. Transport's already a problem. Yeah, you had some people not make it to your tour on time because yeah, of parking. Because of parking. And it's a Saturday in uh, September. September. Not, yeah, so just pre-plan everything but uh no the other night i had a a, a great tour and there were uh several families and and, and one and one of the families had a i don't know how old the child was maybe, a little human uh, yeah m- maybe 10 you know so they weren't like very tiny and they weren't like medium size yet uh and you know uh the the mom comes over and gives me a tip and i'm like oh thank you so much and then the kid reaches out and hands me and i'm like oh and he hands me some money and it's uh two quarters uh a dime and two pennies so it's 62 cents and he's like thank you and i was like that's so cute it was adorable and i'm like i don't even know what to do like i didn't want to take it right but you're like what do you mean you don't want to take it well like you can keep your. he was probably so excited i know i'm like you can like and now i've got it I, I've, I'm going to hold on to that. So that's that's Aww. pretty neat. 
Yeah. And it happened to be, and he probably had no idea, um, a bicentennial quarter and a Massachusetts state quarter. So that's like, that was kind of cool. Yeah, I wonder if he knew or if it was just... Just what he had in his pocket, coincidentally. Yeah, or whatever his mom gave to him. Yeah, yeah. So that that was neat. I, I like that. But that is... That's all I got. Other than it's getting busy. We're playing... We're playing dodge ball? No. Do- tour dodge? I don't know what the tour game is. Do- <laughs> I'm trying to come up with something clever on the fly. I've got... It's... We just, it's just, it's getting crowded. Yep. The, the tours are running into each other. Mm-hmm. I think you mean. Also, it's a little, it's not as easy to get down the sidewalk. Not everyone knows where they're going. Mm-hmm. Most people don't know where they're going. So I don't know where I'm going. To get to and from is not nearly as easy as it once was. Mm-hmm. But this is what we get for living in Salem. It's, thank goodness that it's like a slow, I say slow. It's like this, yes, the flip. The flip switches. The switch flips on October 1st, like unequivocally. But like, thank goodness that there's like a, a couple weeks beforehand where you can like adjust. You're like, all oh, right, okay. This is this is the new game. This is what we're playing. I come around the corner. There's six tours where I want to stand. And I'm like, okay, where I don't know what we're doing. We're just going to. We're getting ready for it. Yeah, we're being primed yeah. for it. It's like it's like your, your pre-workout before it's really we're stretching before the marathon right you're like loosen up a little exactly i actually had someone on tour uh the other day ask me how locals feel about the october chaos and like what do we do do people leave and some of them do like some locals get out of here some folks rent out their their houses as airbnbs and just stay with friends to get out of the craziness you definitely don't schedule appointments like it's just impossible you don't leave your house from friday to sunday it's just impossible it's weird my uh so my barber is right on uh washington street uh Bada bing. Bada bing. Um, and they were telling me at, at some point that like October is like their worst month. Because people can't Yeah, people get like to them. screw that. And they, yeah. they go, they're like, yeah, it's like one of our worst months because you, like you need uh, all the locals. I'm like I've got one, I've got like two scheduled, but I'm like, it's just. Right. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. There's, there's distinctly the non Halloween things that they probably like, why would you go get photography done or your dentist appointment? Right. You're like, I'm not going to schedule. Especially de- on a weekend. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it is impossible to drive your car anywhere on a weekend. I guess this is all to say that if you are coming to Salem during the spooky season, plan ahead, as we have said before, and also be very, very kind to the locals and the local workers because we are all, like, at our our limit at that point um it is a very hard month for those who are working in town whether it's the restaurants retail anything and have fun and get that get that spooky vibe yeah it's everywhere there's already uh street performers out on a regular basis so very excited about that uh two last things before we jump into uh the uh, actual episode um again we got merch so if you are keen, uh, go to salemthepodcast.com and you can click on the shop button and go to our merch store and you can get our cool logo t-shirts, our cool uh, um, Salem Tunnel Hunters t-shirts designed Stop. by Sarah, mugs, tote bags, and all your other stuff. Someone got the orange shirt logo I saw on the- That was our friend Kurt. 
from uh, the Grave Hunter Kurt. That is a good color. I think you you see it online, and then like I saw in the picture, and I was like, oh, it's like a like a little pumpkin vibe. Yeah. And, like when we were going through and picking the colors, I was we were like, yeah, orange is good. But then seeing it, I was like, ah. I can't wait to see it on people. Orange is good. Yeah. I cannot wait to see a young child in a Tunnel Hunters Association. I I know we have sold a few of them. I can't wait. So they will turn up here in Salem. And also, I'm sorry, I'm still working on the international shipping thing. I don't know what's going on. We'll get it figured out. Yeah. If anyone can do it, you can do it, Jeff. Thank the people you. in Canada are waiting. And my friends in England are bugging me a little bit too. So oh, thank shoot. You. <laughs> yes. They're like, oh, I need one for my my small human. Like, I'm going to get a t-shirt. And someone else is like, oh, the marketing is great. And we need the mugs. And I was like, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it. We'll thank get you. it figured out. Thank you. And other than that, if you noticed... Uh, last week, uh, we had more advertising in as well. So if you're listening and you run a business uh, here in Salem or are curious uh, about how we do that, uh, feel free to shoot us a message and uh, we can talk about advertising as well. I think that's it. All right. Down more, to business. More what? Oh. <laughs> this episode is going to get heavy. <laughs> I've been holding on to that for days. <laughs> There are so oh, many puns. That was so good. So bad. That it's so, so bad. Good. That was horrible. I love it. <laughs> this episode's going to get heavy. Oh. Anyway, we would like to introduce you to uh, Giles Corey. He is definitely a controversial character. Popular. It's a popular, and it, there's just so much that goes along with his story. Obvi- like, let's tackle the elephant in the room he was pressed to death he is the only one that is tortured yeah so when we uh go by numbers right what i say is over 200 are accused 25 die five in jail 20 are executed 19 are hanged and one is tortured to death and he is that one he's outlier isn't quite the right word but he stands alone yes. in the course of the trials because of this. And actually, it is the only pressing ever conducted in the colonies or in the U.S. So Absolutely. it is significant. And and I've never quite been able to like totally get to the bottom of this, uh, but it is definitely one of the only ones where the person has died. So the idea of pressing, and we'll just give you a little little snippet, is to press him for an answer. That's where that term comes from. And most oftentimes they will confess or give that whatever answer before it kills them. Right. You know, two, three, four hundred pounds for, you know, two, three, four, six hours. You're like, okay, I'm good. I got a cracked rib. I'm having trouble breathing, you know, and you're like, I'm done. And and you speak. Uh, And he did not. And so that also adds to the story is that not only is it a unique scenario uh, in the form of the torture here in in what is to become the Americas, but as far as I'm aware, one of the only times anyone's ever died from it. So he just staunchly digs his damn heels in and is like, I don't think so. I am not playing your uh, foolish little games. This comes at, I would say, the peak of the trials where things are in full force, but at the same time, it is so gruesome that it does mark a turning point in the trials. So 
we should probably mention what date this is coming out on and why it is so significant. So if you're listening to this episode, when it drops, it is on uh, September 20th, 2022, which is 330 years uh, after the trials. And Giles Corey will have died on September 19th, just yesterday or the day before you're listening to this, if it comes out. Uh, of 1692. So technically, we are so we're recording this on Sunday, the 18th of September. So he would be being tortured at this very moment that we are having this discussion. Mile, mile um, and a half, maybe from where we're sitting. Yeah. So I did. I did a tour this afternoon, and I did a tour yesterday. And I, you know, I'm like, okay, this is literally. I was like, normally I say from where we stand now, you'd be able to see what was going on. And it's a little different when you're like, from where we stand now, you would li- literally- 330 it is, years it is to the day. Right now, he's out there with a pile of stones on him. He's been out there, you know, yesterday, yesterday night, I was like, he'd been out here for five or six hours. Today, I've been like, he's been out here for a full day. And tomorrow, when I do my tour, I'll be like, he had passed away that afternoon. So it's a weird chunk of of- a few days we get to, to talk about it. And although this will be the last victim that we cover for this season of Salem the Podcast, and don't worry, we will resume this for the next season once the trials start back up, but we should also mention those who die, who are executed on September 22nd, and this will be the largest and final execution we see in the trials. It wasn't supposed to be. It was supposed to continue on there there were some people who got a stay of execution there were other executions slated there had been other people who'd already been found guilty and uh eight more people were hanged uh on september 22nd they were called the eight firebrands of hell by i believe reverend noyce yes and bastard do you want to sure uh let's see if i can do it from memory so on september 22nd Martha Corey, Alice Parker, Mary Parker, Wilmot Red, Ann Pudiator, Margaret Scott, Samuel Wardwell, and Mary Esty. Rebecca Nurse's sister, yes. who we had mentioned before. And they were eight of, I believe, 15 folks that were sitting there waiting with guilty verdicts. Don't quote me on that number, but they were hand-selected by the court. So there were mul- there was a pool of people that had been found guilty and all of them faced equal opportunity, I guess. Not the best word, but... Yeah, I'm not sure how they were or why they were. Right? I, I, I'm sure some of them, like Martha, which we'll talk about in a little bit here, she's been sitting in jail for months at this point. Mary Esty, Rebecca Nurse's sister, has been in jail for many months at this point. So I would think that some of those folks were just waiting around and they were like, okay, it's time to deal with them. But at the same time, some of those folks were just recently found guilty in September. So how they decided which ones, I mean, can you imagine if you're in that that pool of people and then they just pluck eight of them to execute i feel like this deserves a little bit more research as we're sitting here talking about it because now i'm when was that decision made it might say probably somewhere but you probably just 
come they come down knocking on the cell door not really cells but whatever. okay it's time and yeah and that's it so we've talked a little bit about giles and depressing but let's uh backtrack a little bit and start early life same as we've been doing before and we'll work through 1692 and how that plays out i think one of the most important interesting i don't know adds to the 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 character is <laughs> how old he is so when was he born He was born in Northampton, England, late summer of 1611. I've seen anywhere from August to September, but yes, 1611. So we're talking before Roger Conan even came here and established Salem. Or the Mayflower hadn't even left yet. Yep. King James is sitting on the throne. Uh, We've just recently had an attempted bombing in Parliament. Uh, All that stuff's going on. It's just, he's 1611. So he's born to Giles and Elizabeth Corey. And very cool, quick note about this. The church that he is baptized in, you can still go see it. Well, it still stands. I might do that in uh, in January when I pop over there. Please do. The church dates to approximately 1100 <laughs> and is one of four remaining round churches in England. So it's actually like a round church. The entire thing neat. is is circular. It's in Northampton, do you know? Yeah, I think I believe so. Okay, I think that's pretty so. neat. I might have to check that out. Uh, England stuff is is old. Uh, obviously, one of one of my aunt's favorite things to do when I used to visit as a kid. Uh, we'd like drive around and she'd point out things that were older than the country than America. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> but it's so it's easy. It's just like right? it's that there. building, it's just... that church, like, oh, those that forest. And you're like, oh, they definitely built things to last yeah. over there. When I went to university, one of uh, our classrooms was called the castle. And I think it was a 13th century castle turret. So we just had classes in there because, you know, nice yeah. next to a lake with swans. Because that's, that's, I thought you were going like Lady of the Lake, King Arthur. With no, 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 no. <laughs> but yes, called the Holy Sepulcher. Sepulcher. S e p u l c h r e. I'm here for it. I, that's okay. <laughs> I'm gonna get tortured by all of our listeners because <laughs> just, just it's it's your accent. That's why we didn't have anything that old in the Midwest, so <laughs> no idea. To be fair, the 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 Great Lakes are are older. Older than... They're real old. Carved by glaciers. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. So we do have a baptism record for him for August 16th, 1611. And that was at that church. So next time you go to England, go check it out. Oh, well, I will see where that is in my travels. We don't have a date for when he comes over necessarily gotta do a bit more digging because i feel like it has to like there's got to be some ship manifest that has him on there of course not all of them survive but we've got him in salem town as early as 1640 so think about that for a second we were founded and of course there were people here for thousands of years prior to but salem is established in 1626 so he would have seen so much of early Salem. They've only been there for a generation or so. And at this point, I think it's safe to say Salem Village, which we know that's where the trials really kick off, and Salem Farms, which also sits adjacent to it, which is modern-day Peabody, 
uh, those places didn't really exist yet. They hadn't expanded outward yet. Salem is still this, this infant of a maritime center. And he would have been right around 30 years old at this point that he's, he's living there. And so he's got, he's got some years in the community prior to 1692, decades even. Which should, uh, well, I don't know. So obviously we spoke about Rebecca Nurse before and how she was uh, uh, an elderly woman and had a good standing and, you know, had a good, big family and all these things, which at the end of the day didn't really mean much of anything. And Giles Corey is, is a little different because he didn't have that good of a reputation. No, if anything, the years, the decades that he spent in Salem leading up to 1692 just contributed to his accusations. Yeah. I think his is one of the best examples of looked, look at how many people you pissed off and then how angry the community was. And when the community became incredibly angry, how easy it was for them to turn that onto you when you'd already been pushing their buttons for years. Right. Um but, but that's not like the, the specific case because obviously Rebecca Nurse hadn't been pushing buttons and she still got the brunt of that as well. So we have, uh, I think these are two great examples of how someone is in line with the community and someone is not in line with the community and they both end up in the same situation. And I also think, and we'll talk about this more in detail in a second, this is one of those situations where the accusations that they bring up against him some of them actually have some merit. Like mm -hmm. we oftentimes, you know, we read through Bridget Bishop's accusations. We read through Rebecca Nurse's accusations. Bridget Bishop was said to have killed her two husbands prior to Edward Bishop. Giles Corey technically was a murderer. Like yeah. you could say that he had blood on his hands. 100%. But before we jump into that, I do want to mention his three wives, which also Not goes all at once. Not all. No, no. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, Giles Corey and his three wives. No. Sorry. <laughs> the, the new Game of Thrones series where he's like, oh, I'm going to take a second wife, oh. as is the custom of the Targaryen. Yeah, they had a lot of customs. No. <laughs> those, those Targaryens. That was not part of the Puritan custom. No. 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 No, not three wives at once. Much like Bridget Bishop. Things happen, right, in this world, especially women, whether it's from childbirth or, you know, just getting an infection. That could be your death sentence if you don't get it treated properly. And this is also during a time of skull moss and bloodletting. So, uh, bloodletting is also a, a, a thing. Like, like in modern day? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 That is a joke. <laughs> just making sure everyone connects the dots. He marries his first wife, Margaret. I don't have a marriage date for them. I did see that it was over in England. So my guess is probably married her in his 20s. Mm -hmm. They will have four children together. Martha, Margaret, Deliverance, and Elizabeth. So the I guy... Mean, Deliverance is so weird. I'm sorry. Like, it, it crops up, like, a lot. And, like, I still know, like, Elizabeth's and Margaret's and Martha's. You know, I've met all... Dude, Deliverance... It's just a weird, like... But a lot of their names back then came from oh, scripture, yeah, right? Yeah. So, like, it wasn't... We still have names like Hope in today's yeah, world. Yeah. I feel like... Ap Apple? Did you say that? Yes. <laughs> yeah, you're right. 
which is I, I used to make a joke. Sorry to de- to deviate. Uh, and I, I just, gosh, I haven't made this joke in years. Um, when I would talk about the Mathers increase in cotton, and I was like, I guess Apple's not that weird. No, I guess it's not that weird. <laughs> I never thought about how ridiculous their names were. We're just so used to it. What's at your this name? Point. Increase. This is my son, Cotton. Increase what? <laughs> like this. <laughs> But then he had a, uh, didn't he have a a increase, had a son named Nathaniel? I think, yeah. Yeah, like why, like Nathaniel and Cotton. Can you imagine (laughs) being Cotton and being like, damn it, dad. Why do I get this name? Damn it, increase. (laughs) God. You know what? We should do a whole episode. On Um, Puritan names. Yes. Okay, no, I'm going to put that in the in the book. That's in the to-dos. Yeah. For yeah. the wintertime. Yeah. The off-season. We can just make fun of their names for like two hours. Anyway, getting back on track. My apologies. No, no that's great. I, uh, I it, it struck me a little bit. He has four female children with his wife. Like, mm-hmm. that's not really the best setup if, if you could ask for one back in this time because you have to you have to provide a dowry usually. You had to like give the prospective mates like something, like yeah, the prospective husband. You're not worth enough on your own. Like, come on. Unfortunately, <laughs> that that was, you laugh, but back then this was that was the case. So, a part of me when I read this, I was like, hmm, maybe he was like crabby because he just had to raise four girls. That was with his first wife, Margaret. Yes. Uh, he marries his second wife in 1664. So he is in his 50s at this point. Her name was Mary Bright. Of course, this is in Salem. And they spend the next 20 years together. Uh, they have a son named John. He's got five children. And it is his daughter that will petition for payment after his execution later down the line. So it wasn't a son that came forward. It was his daughter. She dies um, in 1684, and he will then marry Martha Rich around 1690. And I forgot, do you remember which wife it is that he is said to have pushed down the stairs? Have you heard this? this? I've heard. I I think some people attribute that to Mary uh, because she's the one, and I think they tend to attribute it to her and I could be wrong on this. Is she the one that's buried she, in She's in Charter Street. Yep, okay. Yes. So Giles Corey's second wife is actually buried in one of the cemeteries that we've talked about multiple times <laughs> on these episodes, Old Burying Point, the oldest of Salem cemeteries. She is in there. 1684. And I think I've even heard ghost stories. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've been I've, told to tell ghost stories I've, when I used to work I've for heard, the ghost. I've heard that that you can, what was it? You see her in a white dress wandering and, and, through the cemetery. I think I've heard a pointing or looking uh, towards um, the, the Howard Street. So, you know, basically she'd be looking like, at the Pam or past the Pam, yeah. pointing that because that's where he dies. Uh, is, is that's over. lame. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that's lame. That is, I think I've heard that. And I, I, I say that with some skepticism because it's definitely one of those things that I heard and I was like, that's stupid. And I just kept walking. <laughs> so now I'm trying to recall. But yeah, it's definitely. So yeah, uh, Mary Corey is the one uh, who is buried in Charter Street. And I know there has been some confusion because Mary and Martha are similar names yeah um so they're like oh well, martha Corey's buried there like no 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 it's mary Corey, his second wife uh she's the one who is uh buried and that i think is one of the really cool things 
interesting things about the location of the memorial and its relevance to, to Charter Street. You're like, there's people here who knew, who were related to, who had children wise. Think about that for a second. He would have ventured into Old yeah. Burying Point. He would have stood in front of his wife's grave. Yes. That's kind of wild to yeah. think about. And that, And then we stand in the memorial to him every day. And that's, I mean, you can't guarantee, but like, let's be honest, he's, he's walked and, and, and stood there just like we do. That's crazy. Even if he was an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Like we said, he's a controversial character. And I will say this as we, as we start making our way towards actual 1692 and what happened during that year with him and Martha, regardless of what he's done in the past, no one deserves to die in the way that he died. I will say that. And I, I may get some heat from I that. Will, I will disagree. That's fine. And I think, and, and you are struggling to remember this, but you and I had a conversation where you had gone to the Pickman House, the welcome center for the cemetery. It's right next to mm -hmm. the Witch Trials Memorial. And if you pass by while someone's giving a ghost tour, you're going to hear all sorts of things about some young girl being tortured up in the attic and someone being killed on the grounds, yada, yada, yada. as well. I've heard some ghost story about someone having some... I think that's more towards um, the witch house. Okay. Okay. You and I don't really get heavy on the ghosts, so like no. it's I, forgive I, us if we just joke about it. I, I feel a little <laughs> bad because there are some fantastic ghost stories in Salem and some absolutely fantastic uh, tours uh, that that focus on the ghost tours. And I don't know. I mean. You, you heard our episode with Dr. Vitka. Right, and everyone knows that you don't believe in ghosts. That's so. not true. Or, sorry, you don't believe that... I don't even know what you believe. Don't don't worry about it. But you had said that you ran oh, into someone, I think a, a, a worker at the Welcome Center, who was wearing a pin that said, I don't feel bad for Giles Corey. Ask me why. And you were just tickled by this. And it shows that this person actually knows a little bit more about the history mm -hmm. than surface level what most people are introduced to. If you go to any of the... Uh, dare I say any of the museums in town, you're probably not going to get too much about Giles Corey's backstory. You might hear that he was a grouchy old man and he wasn't well liked in the town, but very seldom do they talk in detail about his past. So it makes him an interesting character because like he did some bad stuff, but at the same time, I, and you can disagree with me all you want. I genuinely don't think that this was, this is just not okay. And I do feel a little bit of sympathy for him. I will say that. It's okay if you disagree with me. That's we fine. Will, we will re, uh, revisit this in At the end. like half an hour Okay. when, when we get to that. Because there's, there's something that I say and, and, I, I, and on most of my tours, I'll, I'll say it here. And I, I think it's important. But so will. And I think it, it solidifies my opinion. Okay. Okay. So with... Uh, Martha and Giles, how do we, how do they end up in, in the situation they're in? And, and I say they, cause we are going to talk a little bit about Martha and her connection as well, because it is important to Giles's uh, situation. He, he is not alone in what's going on. Right. right. I wonder if Martha had never been accused 
with Giles have found himself accused. She was the first. She got the finger pointed at her a month earlier than him. Well, there's no way that she would not have. I don't know. You know, it's hard to say that. So so I think one thing that that I want to emphasize here real quick is, is they are not young people. They are... A little older. He's 81, 82? 80. Um, 80 when he's accused. Yeah. Probably eight. turned 81 right around yeah. his execution. And he is a crotchety, get off my lawn, grumpy, like, how you kids, da, da, da. That's a great description right. for him. <laughs> get off my lawn. Right. And, you know, he, he, it, it's shocking to me, like, uh, when we look at, he's a trope. Like, he is unequivocally like a a character defining trope and he is this grumpy old man who's telling everyone in the town that they're all a bunch of idiots and his position within the community to be able to criticize is sketchy his wife has been doing the same thing and so here's the two of them you know standing in their front yard being like you're all a bunch of idiots like what's wrong with you and no one likes being told that, that they're stupid, that what they're doing is dumb, especially when it comes to religious extremism. You know, these people are devout in their faith. And here's this crotchety old man and his wife telling you all you're a bunch of idiots. You know, if anything, they should have listened. They've been here for decades. Like, I'm sure that they felt a little bit of immunity to all of what was going on because they've been in this area. They've been in Salem Village for decades. Like, why would they even think that they were suspect to something like this? And I get that. And I, I, I think you're right. And and again, it sort of speaks to their character. That, that there were other people. So I I don't think we've mentioned this before. Maybe we did it like in episode two or three, how there were some people who were critical of the trials, mostly coming out of Boston um, and mostly using scripture or theocracy uh, we shouldn't rely so heavily on spectral evidence increase mather was yeah. one of them that questioned yeah. the court's pursuance on spectral evidence alone but increase mather has a uh, position of authority uh, uh-huh. and he is not just wildly telling everyone that they're dumb and that's not exactly but pretty much or the interpretation that giles Corey, and martha are, are giving and as you said, they don't have any friends. They have they they have not created or cultivated good relationships with their neighbors. He was said to have had quite the mouth on him, and which sounds ridiculous, but back then it was a serious offense. In the trial records, he will be uh, described as yelling at his neighbors, calling them devilish rogues, which I think we also heard that term come from Bridget Bishop Mm -hmm. at one point. This was serious to these Puritans. There was also talk of him stealing at several points. John Proctor's house burns down and Giles is said to have had a hand in it, whether or not that's the case, who knows? And and I sort of, uh, I always say he's a theft, theft, he's a theft. <laughs> he's a, a, a thief, arsonist, and, and, and murderer. Um, Those are some, yeah, and bold. At the end of the day, we I, I think the arson thing is the one that, that there's a big sort of question mark above it. There, I wonder about the theft too. You know, the guy, it's not like he didn't have money. Like he had a huge yeah. estate, not huge, but he had a good amount of land under him. But there is also then the perception of these things. Fair. Right? So 
um, whether or not he did it, I think, and I, I, I sort of, I, I always try to, you know, and I'll say this probably every episode, put myself into those, those positions, right? You're sitting at the meeting house, you're talking among so-and-so, and here's Giles Corey, you know, standing up being like, you're all stupid, why are you listening to these little girls, da-da-da. And then you go home and you're like, well, I mean, you know, he's criticizing. He's like, well, what about that theft thing? And you're like, well, what, he, he got he got found in his, or that arson thing. Well, he didn't actually burn down the proctor's house. And you're like, well, I, I know that's what they say. But what if? But what if? And it's that perception. And he is very easily tagged under under the, these things. And the murder thing, there is no question about. Yeah, let's let's dive into that real quick before we jump into 1692. Because I think this is probably one of the most telling of his character. Mm-hmm. And as much as I will defend, you know, no one deserves to die this way. This is definitely the worst thing that he did in his life, at least that that we know of. So I typically reserve this for my my night tour. Uh, you don't mention it in the day tour. No, oh. I just say he's a murderer. Okay, just le- leave him hanging. With like, <laughs> I know it's, it's a whole extra story you have it, to it, tell. It is, and and so my night tour is on dark history, and I'm like, I really hammer home like some of the the more horrific things that that happened, um, and this is why. I don't think there is really any room for leniency uh, within what happened to him. So what we're referring to comes to a head in 1676. So this is when he is in his 60s. And a lot of people, you know, I'm sure people imagine this frail old man when we talk about Giles Corey. There is no way. There's He was a farmer for most of his life. He was still chopping firewood in his early 80s like he his farm was one of the main suppliers of firewood which sounds you know simple I guess in today's world but that is that's like that's like your fuel right like we didn't have gas back then like that is your heat source that's a big deal so he had that kind of pull in the community but he also had that physical capability that went along with it he in his early 80s and we'll talk about the pressing in more detail he withstands almost three days he was not this decrepit old man i bet if he would have lived on would have easily ventured into his mid-90s at least But in his 60s, in 1676, he is brought to court for beating his indentured farmhand to death. Now, when I say indentured, we're referring to an indentured servant, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this term. But just to clarify, a lot of folks that would come over from England, and of course, this is with the exception of chattel slavery, um, indentured servitude Basically, you would pay your way, so you would get over to the colonies, and then you would be indentured, indebted to someone for X amount of years. And usually it was anywhere from five to seven years, and you would work under them. They would usually provide you with some type of shelter, like you would live on their their farm or inside their home with them. But that was the way that you paid off getting to the colonies. So he had this indentured servant working for him by the name of Jacob Goodale. This man, and I've seen multiple 
interpretations of this as well. He was accused of stealing his Giles Corey's brother's apples. I saw that in one report, but then also just that he was a quote unquote simpleton, that he was of some type of mental disability and Giles having the temper that he did. I read that he, he beat him over a hundred times. Uh, I'd seen that. And also within the, the, the scope of the uh, court documents from that time, it looked as though uh, Giles Corey is not the only person to have hit this, this person either. Um, that there were other accounts like, oh, he gets beat fairly regularly. So is it really Giles Corey's fault? And the, the key factor in all of this is that the young man um, was distinctly uh, some sort of, <clears throat> was distinctly described by them as as simple, a fool, a halfwit. Um, and as such, he didn't really count. It didn't really matter. So those folks coming to court that was used to kind of exonerate Giles from these charges. But also during this time, it was not illegal to hurt your servant, your indentured servant. There was no, it wasn't, I don't even want to say like, was it frowned upon? Like obviously not enough to convict him of murder. And if anything, the coroner, had agreed that this gentleman had been murdered by Giles Corey and yet he is only given a fine for for excessive force right I think yeah no no jail time um no execution which I would think back then if you murdered someone there was probably a pretty good chance that you yourself would be executed but look at the difference you know he's this wealthy landowner and this is his disabled servant yeah and so getting back to why I don't find him, what happened to Redeemable him. Redeemable at all. Is, is because of that. And there's really no excuse ever. Um, and I, I think one of the things that I say uh, typically is, is that while it is always important to speak truth to power and to call out the wrongs that you see, what happened to him as a result of that is wrong, but I don't feel bad for him. More like it's karma. If we want to call it that. Yeah. Got him in the end. And again, speak truth to power. Call out like what he saw he was saying was wrong. But what he did was beyond unredeemable. Given all of these controversies surrounding Giles, he is still admitted to the Salem Town Church. So we talked about this a little bit in our previous episodes on trial victims. There is a pretty big rift growing between Salem Village and Salem Town, especially in regards to their church practices. And if you were admitted as a Salem Town Church member, so as a member, you have gone through confession you are able to take communion and if you are admitted through them you can also do those same exact things over in salem village because technically they were tied together but at the same time because of this you've got these resentments building up martha and giles although they were living in the southwestern part of salem village which would now be considered 
Peabody, um, Salem Farms. They were going to the Salem Village Church, but they were admitted as members of Salem Town Church. So they were able to get around. Remember, Salem Town is a little bit more lenient on their church practices. So now that they're admitted as full members, they can now go to Salem Village and reap the same benefits. And for folks that lived deep in Salem Village, people like Reverend Paris, the Putnams, they weren't too fond of this situation. And knowing that Giles Corey was this ruffian man who had this very checkered past and had murdered someone, but somehow got away with it. So, so here is this sinner right? Who, who gets a seat at your table and he is... He has not had to fulfill the same religious requirements that you have. You know he has sinned, and yet here he sits, and then he turns and tells you all that you're a bunch of idiots. And no one likes him to begin with. Like, (laughs) if anything, the cards were stacked against him, and I wonder, like, I wonder if they thought about fleeing. The Corys? Yeah, I mean, I know that they were older right so it's not like they can pick up and leave and plus they have their well-established farm they have family in the area but it's it's probably one of those situations where they scoffed at this and then it was quickly turned on to them and they got swept up in it i can see yeah yeah i can see that but also like in the beginning why would you right Right. Why would you believe all of this? You don't know what's coming. Yeah. It, it's very easy for us to look back and go, well, why didn't? Or what did you think? Or how could you? They, We have the full picture. You have to remember that given each day, they didn't know what was to follow. Um, like, could you? So she's uh, arrested. We'll just jump on this uh, in, in mid-March. March 19th. Arrested so on March 19th. What? Two, two and a half weeks? After Tichaba and uh, yeah. Sarah Osborne and Sarah Good yeah. are brought forth at the Salem Village Meeting House. So we are at the like beginning of the accusation. So when we say like this before like spreads like wildfire, like man, two and a half, that's it. Of course, she doesn't even get executed till uh, September. They're one of the, some of the the long The longest standing people that are kept in jail. Their story is just so interesting because of little details like this. And of course, every story and every person that went through this is unique. But I think theirs is interesting because of things like this. The fact that they are some of the first to be targeted, but they are some of the last to lose their lives in the course of the trials. So Martha Corey, she is born in... 1619, 1620. So she's about 10 years younger than Giles. She's in her early 70s and, as you said, arrested on March 19th. She is accused of afflicting Ann Putnam, Ann Putnam Jr., Mercy Lewis. Of course, at, Ann Putnam Jr. is in there, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> and her mother, Ann Putnam. Right. Abigail Williams. And Elizabeth Hubbard. And so Elizabeth Hubbard was living in the house of Dr. Griggs, the gentleman who diagnosed the girls as being bewitched. So this was a very like tight knit group of accusers. And this was one of those situations where I really started imagining in my head. I hate to use the word conspiracy because I don't know exactly to what degree 
they were having discussions about these things? Like, were they actually planning this out? I don't know. But was it more of an unspoken thing? Like, oh yeah, my daughter was uh, afflicted by Martha. It wasn't your daughter as well. It's one of those things where it's like, how much was being discussed? And, and was there a blatant pointing of the fingers when it comes to Martha and Giles? So, and, and like you think back, I think that oftentimes there might have been casual discussion amongst adults, which was overheard by children, which then turned into accusations by children, which then turned into confirmed accusations by adults. By their parents. Right. I completely agree with that. Yeah. I think the Corys, these names, those girls would have heard them mm-hmm. being exchanged at some point. Whether They're it's, like, oh, well, this, so the, the, the parents isn't there. Well, you know, Martha Corey, she's always had the, those issues and that, that secret love child she had. Yeah, we didn't even mention that. Right? And Giles Corey's always telling everyone they're a fool. Well, do you think, well, it could be possible they're a witch. And then the next day, the girls are suffering an, an affliction. And like, who's hurting you? And they're like, oh. Martha Mar- Corey. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, we were just talking about that yesterday. So Martha has her own controversial past to bring to the table. Now, you got to remember, we are back in Puritan New England and the norms and customs are uh, disturbing. In this world, if you had a child out of wedlock, that's a big no-no. If you have a child of mixed race there we go. out of wedlock, that's, that's a, a double no-no. Yeah. I, don't, I can't even... Just like the idea of that at that point in time is, is almost unfathomable to me. And it definitely painted Martha in a bad light. And in fact, this son that she had came with her. So he was living in Salem at the point of the trials. Um, I don't know if he was living with them. I'm not sure. I think I've seen seen like that he was at a, he was at a boarding house in town, but it would have been known to the townspeople that Martha Corey, the new wife of Giles Corey, had had a child out of wedlock of mixed race, and that would have undoubtedly contributed to her accusation. I will say she also had a bit of a temper. I guess I shouldn't say temper, but she had a bit (laughs) of an attitude about the accusations, just like Giles did. She laughed at her examination. And I, I get it, right? Like they, Like we just mentioned, they don't know what's to come. And they're like, what? Hichiba, Sarah, good. These three women, we got witches in Salem. And they're like, well, we're looking for like nine others. And they're like, God, you guys are just a bunch of, like, they scoff at it. Like, you bunch of idiots. Like, come on, really? You're going to believe this slave? And again, I'm, I'm not quoting like verbatim here, but just sort of an interpretation of the attitude. They must have been like, there's no way. Like, just let it go. Me, yeah, okay. And they genuinely, it seems though, she just, she doesn't give it the time of day probably believing it's just going to blow over. Like, this is just ridiculous. Because we all know that none of these people were witches, and she knows that she is innocent. So she's she's arrested on the 19th. She's examined in Salem Village on March 21st. So we're going to read a quick excerpt from her examination. Is it a laughing matter to see these afflicted persons? She denied it. Several prove it. 
Thee are all against me, and I cannot help it. Do you not believe there are witches in the country? I do not know that there is any. Do you know that Tichiba confessed it? I did not hear her speak. I find you will owe nothing without several witnesses, and yet you will deny for all. When she bit her lip, several afflicted were bitten. Reverend Noyce, I believe it is apparent she practiceth if... <laughs> I believe it is apparent she practiceth witchcraft in the congregation. There is no need of images. What do you say to all these things that are apparent? If you will all go hang me, how can I help it? Were you to serve the devil ten years? Tell how many. She laughed. The children cried, and there was a yellow bird with her. When Mr. Hathorne asked her about it, she laughed. When her hands were at liberty, the afflicted persons were pinched. Why do you not tell how the devil comes in your shape and hurts these? You said you would. How can I know how? Why did you say you would show us? She laughed again. What book is it that you would have these children write in? What book? Where should I have a book? I showed them none, nor have none, nor brought none. Uh, it's here that it says, The afflicted cried out. There was a man whispering in her ears. What book did you carry to Mary Walcott? I carried none. If the devil appears in my shape. Who is your God? The God that made me. Who is that God? The God that made me. What is his name? Jehovah. Do you know any other name? God Almighty. How many gods are there? One. How many persons? Three. And it goes on and on and on. <laughs> but it's interesting to, to, to see how they're just sort of berating her and asking her, these, what is your God? How do you, they just jump from like, are you hurting the kids? To did you, who's the God? And, and she's like, she's just denying and denying and they just keep going. Uh, we're going to add just a little bit more to this one because I love the final line. Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. Can you say so? There is one God and three blessed persons. She was then troubled. Do not you see these children and women are rational and sober as their neighbors? When your hands are fastened immediately, they were seized with fits and the standers by. She was squeezing her fingers at her hands, being eased by them that held them on purpose for the trial. Quickly after, the marshal said that he hath bit her lip and immediately the afflicted were in an uproar. Why you hurt these? Or who doth? She denieth any hand in it. Why did you say if you were a witch, you should have no pardon? Because I am a woman. So again, we are several weeks into this display from these young girls. Like they know what they're doing. They know how to play the game. And every time Martha Corey moves or bites her lip or turns, I think there was also a moment where she's leaning against the back of the the stand that well, she we'll is also on. We'll see this in Giles Corey as well. Uh-huh. The girls will react um, very much mimicking her. And for the judges, the magistrates, for them, that is just blatant proof right there. You're doing the witchcraft in the courtroom in front of our very own eyes. I always make the the comparison. Imagine if someone in court today, right? If you're like, oh, are you a murderer? And they're like, no. And then they pull out a gun and they shoot someone. And you're like, oh shit. Well, we all just got to witness you commit this crime that you're sitting here denying. That's what's going on. 
I knew you would be kind of excited to talk about that examination because they bring up familiars oh, again. Favorite. Yep. Martha Corey is said to have a little yellow bird suckling between her fingers. I believe, is this where we get the turtles? <laughs> no, I think that's later. A little bit later, oh, but yes. We get we get the turtles. We get the turtles with Giles. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> big, big. I just imagined... <laughs> I just imagined a t-shirt design where there are two turtles hanging from the nipple area. That's the, ridiculous. The big turtle nipples. Oh my I God. don't know why I'm talking like that. It just makes it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should we should have a t-shirt that just has like two. You, you know, like 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 the uh, the the shirts with the skeleton hands on the boobs. Yeah, we should just, just have... two turtles hanging. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Little snapping turtles like. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> but there's a reason for it. It makes sense okay. to us. I mean, no, it does not. To anyone that listens to the sense. podcast, you know what we should do? Okay, hold on. Here we go. Uh, I, this, so on the t-shirt, I don't know how stupid this is. Uh, is 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 a a name badge, right? Like, hello, my name is Giles Corey. <laughs> With then a the little two, turtle hanging, <laughs> the two turtles on it. Ridiculous! Ridiculous! <sighs> Merch Lincoln bio. <laughs> so. So that's Martha's accusation on the 21st. Yes. He also didn't really, Giles, he kind of contributed to Martha's accusation. He doesn't deny it. And if anything, he, he tells the magistrates that his wife, her practices are questionable. He mentions seeing her praying at the front of the fireplace one night. I, I think that adds to his story of like a crotchety old man, right? I, and I, I don't think he's trying to out her or put her as a witch. I think he's just being, you know, oh, I've seen her in front of the fire. But it, it, it was weird, you know, and then... He just sort of goes off on like a tangent. And again, like that's not, that's my in interpret. Like I can see that happening. But I also wonder, I mean, put yourself in their shoes. They've only been married for two years at this point. They're both older. She's got her checkered past. He has his. Is it that crazy for him to, to kind of not point the finger at her, but kind of, hey, she could be a witch. Doesn't know. He doesn't. And, right, yeah. right. So it's not, it, it isn't that crazy for him to be like, oh no, I guess, you know, there were those weird instances where they, you know, they might point to witchcraft. She could be a witch, who knows? But shortly after her accusation and examination, he will find himself accused. Just, I mean, not just after her, but. About a, about uh, a month. Yeah. And he's on the same day as some other individuals. That would be Abigail Hobbs, uh, Mike Vitka's favorite mm -hmm. character from the trials, if you remember him bringing her up. Mary Warren, which happens to be that young girl that posted a note on the meeting house door claiming that she had been lying. Uh, of course, the girls quickly turn against her. She is also apprehended along with Giles. And then also Bridget Bishop, which, go. of course, we've heard that name before. Yeah, so I always like... And I think we mentioned this in Bridget Bishop's episode is that she's arrested mid-April along with Giles Corey. She's brought to trial a month and a half later, end of May. 
and he's brought to trial early August. So it's weird that they are, and then and we mentioned this in just recently in the in the podcast in the episode, how it doesn't really seem to line up in a you're arrested, you're tried, you're it's not chronological, not at all. It it seems to be just pick of the of the whatever. And I think they went after Bridget because she was that easy target. He was arrested on the 18th and examined the day after. Again, the afflicted girls will put on a good show. It's recorded on that day that they were seized with fits, troubled with pinches. The court even ordered his hands to be tied. That's a, always a, we can touch on that, this weird... That and the barn thing always get me. Do you want to cover the the hands? Yeah. So right from the document, they say, after tying his hands, what, is it not enough to act witchcraft at other times? But must you do it now in the face of authority? He responds, I am a poor creature. I cannot help it. Upon the motion of his head again, they had their heads and necks afflicted. So again, it's the same mimicry that we saw in Martha's examination, and we've seen several times at this point. It sounds ridiculous to us in retrospect, but when you're in that moment in that courthouse, for them, this was a very real and and full-blown display of witchcraft right before their very eyes. It's, again... And I, I mentioned this sort of in the beginning of my tour. Witchcraft is a crime, right? So it's on the books. So all of these weird things that we're then going to be talking about in all these episodes um, <laughs> is against the law. And to them, it's very real. So you are literally, to them, watching someone commit these sundry acts of witchcraft in front of your face, which must have been which must have been just shocking. And something that you can't argue against. Yeah. And it's why they, they press all of these a- <laughs> accused. You know, we're witnessing this in the courtroom. There are two options. Either A, these girls are all lying and we're wrong and we should not have entertained this in the first place. Or B, you are a witch and you are afflicting them and we are doing God's will. Which one of those two doors are you going to take? Obviously God's will. Yeah, you're not going to admit that these girls are wrong, especially when you have their parents to back them up, like Thomas Putnam. He is promptly sent to jail after the examination. And over the next several months, while him and his wife are being shuffled from jail to jail, several other testimonies come in, written testimonies that we still have record of. So, for example, Susanna Sheldon, she claimed that the specter of Giles Corey murdered his first wife and would have murdered his current wife if she had not been a witch. And his first, (laughs) you're going to love this, and his first wife gave him nothing but skim milk. (gasps) How? I can't even. Skim milk. To be fair, Tim, if you're listening, my brother, (laughs) wait, I think, is it Tim? Maybe one, mm, like only drinks whole milk. <laughs> like, and it's just a joke. Ew. Like, I know he's like, why would it's like water? It's like, I wouldn't eat, why may I just pull water in my cereal? I feel like it's Tim. It might be Graham. 
I'm not actually sure. I'm sorry. There's three of them. I love you guys. <laughs> but no, yeah, skim milk. How dare. Criminal behavior. Crazy, right? There's another deposition that comes in from Ann Putnam who says that she, and pretty sure this was written, recorded by her father. She say, She said that on the 13th of April, so this would have been just before his warrant for arrest, I saw the apparition of Giles Corey come and afflict me, urging me to write in his book. And so he continued hurting me. And during the time of his accusation, Giles Corey did torture me a great many times and also several times since. His appearance has most grievously affected me by beating, pinching, and almost choking me to death, urging me to write in his book. Also on the day of his examination, I saw Giles Corey, or his appearance, most grievously afflict and torment Mary Walcott, Mercy Lewis, Sarah Biber, and believe that Giles Corey is a dreadful wizard. For since he has been in prison, he and his appearance has come to me a great many times and afflicted me. There's even a notation underneath this. Anne Putnam owned upon her oath that the above written evidence is the truth to the jury of inquest. That was dated September 9th. So this is several months after. So this is, uh, and we talked about this, I I think, with uh, Rebecca Nurse where they seem to have fallen a little more in line with their stories. It's at this point that we're getting some of the similar stories, some of the same ideas, and we see these things sort of reiterated throughout uh, the accusations. It's no more, we sort of, we've gone away from the initial, uh, uh, you know, black dogs in woods and spectral the birds and these other things. And it's a little more consolidated at this point. Like you see the same, the same story being told, the same accusation being put forth, Mm -hmm. just the name of who's making the accusation changes. And oftentimes it's not these girls that are, it's actually, it's never these girls that are writing these down. It's usually Thomas Putnam or Diadat Lawson. Oh, no, sorry. Rebecca Nurse, my apologies. No, it was uh, Reverend Burroughs, who we talked about last time, when they had like eight or nine, and I'm making that up because I can't remember the number, several uh, accusations, all verbatim, verbatim, all written by Thomas Putnam. As we're talking about accusations too, and I, I don't mean to go back a little bit, but I did notice something that really stuck out to me. During Martha Corey's accusation, that first complaint that comes in, that is by Thomas Putnam and Henry Kenny. Like this is what really contributes to my thinking that there's a, some type of conspiracy going on. Because as we said, Martha Corey was accused by Ann Putnam Ann Putnam Jr., Mercy Lewis, Abigail Williams, the servant living in Dr. Griggs's house who diagnosed the girls, and the complaint itself is made by Thomas Putnam, husband to Ann Putnam, father of Ann Putnam Jr., and a Henry Kenny. This guy, <laughs> during Rebecca Nurse's examination, it's almost as if like things aren't going the way they want them to, there's a point where she says, I can say, and remember Rebecca Nurse, like the very, you know, beloved matriarch here in Salem Village, 
I can say before my eternal father, I am innocent and God will clear my innocency. And that's when the judges respond, here is never a one in the assembly that desires it. But if you be guilty, pray God discover you. So I think we talked a lot about this in Rebecca Nurse's episode where the the magistrates aren't nearly as, they're not as harsh with Rebecca. At that moment, this Henry Kenny guy stands up and says, nurse came into his house and he was seized twice with an amazing, he was seized twice with an amazing condition. So I genuinely think that this guy was like in league with whatever conspiracy they had concocted. The same guy who you see him very seldom in the trial documents is one of the ones that puts forth the initial accusation against Martha. He is also the same one that as the courts aren't really, they're, they're not pushing Rebecca hard enough, he's the one that stands up in the middle of the courtroom, in the middle of the testimony, and says, oh my gosh, she has hurt me multiple times. It just goes to show these like individual... People are making decisions here. Like people are deciding to partake or to sit back. And it's things like this where it's like, damn, like you actually, you contributed directly to their accusations, to their examinations, to their executions. You know, do do you ever see like those like faith healing, like snippets videos? When like someone is claiming to have, like yeah, cured someone yeah, and they're like oh and they lay their hand and they just and 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 everything is they fall over and i'm like that's almost the same thing but like the opposite but the opposite so someone in the court they, they say and they are they just they are swept up and like in, in this storm of witchcraft thank you <laughs> thank you emerson baker right i i it is such a good term uh they are caught up in this and and it is just like this tidal wave and and they are compelled to join in and and that's where we get gentlemen gentlemen for the most part like that who who then just get into the they weasel them and then that's and whether anyway. it's whether it's because you want to be on the right side of things or you want to be included or maybe FOMO. you yeah seriously like Come on, all these girls are getting all that attention. I mean, I'm sure a lot of the fathers and the people that are kind of on the outskirts, of course, they want a little bit of uh, prime time, right? Like what they 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 raised them. That's they deserve a little bit of credit. Uh huh. <laughs> so if we fast forward to September 1692, the court is in full swing. Six people are sentenced to death on September 9th. Another nine are sentenced to death on the 17th. Remember, they have a pool of people. Is that people. where you get your 15 from? That's not where I got the 15th from, but it, at least it matches up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad it matches up. But it is in full swing. The accused, it's just spreading. It's no longer just in Salem Village. They're expanding. Andover. Andover, up into Maine. Of course, we've already seen the execution of George Burroughs at this point. Uh Uh-huh. Like, yeah, they've they've already executed the king and And, queen queen. of hell, Martha Carrier. Yep. So they've got to 
down. It's like a system. But Giles Corey throws a wrench in that system. Which, like, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't there. What did you expect the guy to do? Like, I don't huh? he's He's been, this is nothing, knowing what we know of him as a person, how he's acting, how he's treated other people, and, and all these things, his behavior, and like, and then he stands mute. And you're like, yeah, obviously. And again, hindsight's twenty twenty. We We get a bigger picture from the other side. But I always look at it and I'm like. He's the only one though. He's the only one. But he's always acted like that, right? Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he's this crotchety old get off my lawn type of guy. And now all of a sudden you bring him to trial and I don't know if he stood there and folded his arms, but I'm always like, I can picture him on the stands. He's like, oh yeah? Meh. What? I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. Now this is an interesting conversation because I think this is where a lot of people get their lore about Giles Corey. It's this idea that he would not plea. He would not enter a plea innocent or guilty. But so he does. Fun fact, he does. He yes. and and if you go back to his examination in in April, he denies the charges. He pleads not guilty along with his wife. However, he does not give the answer to the secondary question. When you would be asked, how do you plead? You say innocent or guilty. And then they ask, how will you be tried? And your response is supposed to be, by God and my country. And that is when Giles Corey goes mute. So I, and again, a little bit of historical whatever. He declares himself innocent because he doesn't want anyone to think he's guilty. But he knows that by not following through with the next bit, they can't continue, right? So he's like, I'm going to, I'm innocent. And I'm going to stall. And then I'm going I'm to hit the brakes real hard. And there's pretty much, excuse my French, <laughs> all they can do about it. Oh, I have to put an explicit <laughs> on this episode. <laughs> Beep all. So, but that's, that's the thing is, is that he's this crotchety old man. He's this great, he's like, I'm not going to play their games. This is stupid. I'm innocent. And I don't even want to stand trial. This is a waste of my time. He's been sitting in jail for months. And he's like, no. And speaking of, he's been sitting in jail for months. He has watched multiple people go to trial. He knows that this is a joke. And, and they are always, always found guilty. So, so he he sees the writing on the wall. And and he he's like, I'm not going to play your game. And from day one, he's like, this is stupid. And on day, I don't know what you'd call that, zero, uh, at the end of it all, he's still sticking by his this is stupid. And I will give him credit for that. Day zero. It's like day like hundred and something. I don't, but where do you Several count? Several months. But it's not like you count down to the end. So this is the uh-huh. the, the last day. So that- what that, a- shitty way to spend your last few months in life especially at 80 years old uh-huh i mean at any age like don't get me wrong but anyway I, no wonder he was so like i mean when he decides to go mute he's been in jail as you said for multiple months at all, this point april 18th may june july august five months he knows what's gonna happen and he does not want to give them that satisfaction what's kind of funny a little bit funny a lot of funny is that he probably would not have been executed on September 22nd, right? So if he had gone, they would have had to go go through a trial process. We're like a few days away from the execution. Like if he would have stopped 
resisting. Yeah. If say so say if he only lasted a couple hours under the pressing and said, Okay, that's fine. I plea not guilty. Take me to trial. Take me to trial. And okay. He, he probably would have lived. He pro- they probably would have pushed his trial to November. Yeah. And obviously the November there was Which no he, he there were no, no executions to follow. He had no way of knowing that. Obviously, what the the writing on the wall that he saw was this utter, you know, eight people. Like uh-huh. it, there was probably no hope for him. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He probably would have lived. Wow. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. Bummer for him. <laughs> Way to stand up for what you believe in. Now you're going to die in some pauper's grave. Never hey, but now he, again. now he lives on with one of probably the most epic legends in Salem. So, right? so what happens? They press him to death. Oh, and I did make a little joke about it being the elephant in the room. Did you know that over in India, they used to press people with elephants? <laughs> I went on a tangent when I was researching. I feel like I've seen a cartoon of an elephant sitting on someone and it didn't look fun then and like I can't because elephants are they're 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 very I mean they're not completely Yes, they're very large, Jeff. We all know what Domesticated, elephants. I mean. They 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 are well they can be very well trained. So imagine you're like, oh sit. <laughs> it's like um it's like Daenerys with her dragons. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except it just <laughs> like a flat. <laughs> like you sit on Twinkie and it's just <laughs> God, it's horrible. <laughs> We're making jokes about pressing. No elephant involved in this one though. Um so we actually have quite a few accounts of Giles Corey's pressing. I think this is probably one of the most well documented aspects of the trials. One of which, and I urge everyone to go and check this document out. It's a book, actually, uh, written by Robert Califf. He was a a merchant from Boston, and he was a critic of these trials. I will say that some modern-day historians suggest taking him with a grain of salt because he was such a, a skeptic of the Puritans in general, and he would have put out pretty much anything that would have degraded their reputation. But at the same time, he was there. Like, he was there. It's one of these things when I read um, uh, Cotton Mather's The the Wonders of the Invisible World, which we've we've mentioned a few times. It is full. uh, Like, I'm not sure there has been a more bias uh, uh, document ever written. I mean, there probably has. It's obviously a bit of an overreach. But you are, your father is increased. You you are head of the Church of Boston. You were told to write this by the judges. Right. And that, I think, really, it, it actually, that bias gives us more insight. It doesn't take away from the insight. It adds to it. Because we know who has written it. We know what he believed. And we know the world in which he, he lived in. And so you can see how they would have thought at that point in time. So something like that in the same vein, if you understand when and how it was written, it gives us a better understanding. Right. And as long as you are aware of those biases, like let's be honest, there is nothing without bias. Like it just doesn't exist. And that's a conversation that 
uh, historians will often have, especially in the the beginnings of their training. It's like how you you can't look at a source without bias because it's pretty much impossible because we are all humans and those are all products of humans and their beliefs. Mm -hmm. So just like, as you said, Cotton Mather, Robert Califf has this very, um, I say in opposition to Cotton Mather, Robert Califf has this very anti-Puritan perspective that he's coming with. So of course his, his interpretation is going to be a little bit more gruesome, uh, but we do have a very well-documented picture of Giles Corey's pressing because of that. Also, Samuel Seawall, one of the judges sitting on the court of Oyer and Terminer, he will record in his diary the day that Giles Corey was pressed. So do you wanna you wanna tell the story how how it goes down? So the pressing begins. So okay. So first we have Giles Corey who has thrown a wrench in the gears of the court system. Uh, and now they need to figure out what do we do, and they need to get him to talk. And just like, and 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 very unfortunately, we still do today, they're going to torture him. It is not an unknown or made up uh, style of torture. It is a somewhat common style, and and we mentioned this in the beginning when we were talking about it. He is going to be pressed for an answer. And uh, do do you wanna do you wanna give it a go, and and I can give it a go, and. See which one of us is worse. Wait, what? Saying what you, it. Saying, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like describing the torture itself. No, no, no. It's a French term that means hard and forceful punishment. Um, but I, I, my French, sorry, my, my. Pen, pen fort de Dieu. Pien fort de Dieu. I, I don't know. Pien fort de Dieu. I listened to it multiple times before this, and I still think we got it wrong. Pien force adieu. Hard and forceful punishment. You're being pressed for an answer. Sheriff Corwin is going to be the one who executes uh, this style of, of torture, and that is at the behest of the court. Um, and, and we have talked a little bit about Corwin. We're probably going to have a whole episode on him at, at some point. And he is the executioner. He is the sheriff. He is the arrester. He is the one who writes and signs the arrest and death warrants. And it is, I think, here that he implements this punishment. I don't know if he's the one who executes it, though. So what they do, and this, they, here, so okay, here we go. Here's a little bit of contention. Uh, they bring him to the field next to the jail, or they cross the road to the field, correct? Yes. Okay, where is that? We all like to disagree <laughs> over this. We, so the the individuals that we mentioned who took our tour, both of ours, uh-huh. and then Mike's Spellbound tour as uh-huh. well, they asked me after we talked about Giles Corey and Philip English, so there's like a discrepancy between like where you guys talk about the pressing. I was like, yeah, that's pretty common. Like pretty much whatever tour you take in Salem, they're going to tell you a different story because we don't have the exact location of the pressing. I, I like to, to say that that I am probably uh, 100% accurate oh you love to are you kidding (laughs) who says that so dude hold on hold on hear me out i say that we do not know where this occurred however if it was 1692 you would be able to see it from where we stand now and i gesture okay that's fine right but like thank you okay that's yeah yeah i thought you're (laughs) 
I thought you were saying this is the spot and no, 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 no. one can dispute me because I, say, I am Jeff and I am right. Yes, but I say that we <laughs> don't know and that, you know, some people claim it's on the other side. It's on this side. It's on the far side. It's the bearing point. And I blatantly say that we don't know. Uh-huh. But if, if it were 1692, you would be able to see what's going on from where I say that. And I think that's about as close as a bit of accuracy as we can get. I very much appreciate that. But regardless, may I add, before we we get into the gruesome details of that day, I genuinely think that this would not have happened without a letter that was sent from Thomas Putnam to Judge Samuel Seawall. And in that letter, and it comes on the day of the Sabbath before the execution, like a week before, I think they said a fortnight, so maybe two weeks before, Thomas Putnam writes to Samuel Seawall that his daughter, Anne Putnam, she claimed that a a man appeared to her in a winding sheet and told her that Giles Corey had murdered him by, quote, pressing him to death with his feet. The apparition went on to say that it must be done to him as he has done to me. And it's in this letter that Thomas Putnam reminds Samuel Seawall, for all people now remember very well, and the records of the court also mention it, that about 17 years ago, Giles Corey kept a man in his house that was almost a natural fool, which man died suddenly. A jury was impaneled upon him, among whom was Dr. Endicott, who found the man bruised to death and having clotters of blood around his heart. That is, of course, the gentleman who he had beaten or or whipped to death years prior. I genuinely think that if this letter was not sent to Seawall, would he have been pressed to death? Like, in this letter, it literally is saying that he stomped his farmhand to death and that he deserves the same fate, according to... An eye for an eye. It makes you wonder, like, if this was never sent, would it have actually taken place? Kind of crazy. On the day of September 17th, they decide to press him for an answer. This had never been done in Puritan New England. This had never been done in the colonies at all. Torture wasn't really okay, but, and and I'm not making excuses, so... But hey, desperate times, desperate measures, right? They they are so neck deep in this damn witch shit that they're like, that the rules are clearly just going out the window. If there were ever a time for him to be pressed, it would have been in late September. Yeah. When they've got multiple accusations, multiple convictions. If anything, they're sitting on a mountain of accused and found guilty witches to pull from. So on the 17th of September... They're going to bring him out to an adjacent field of the jail. They're going to strip him down because, of course, back in this time, clothing, shoes, those were valuable assets. They will place a board on top of him and slowly but surely place large stones on top of that board. And this is going to continue for two days. So the early afternoon of the 17th, uh, one stone every hour. Every hour he's given that other chance. So it's this slow, slow process. Um, and the stones are large, but they're not like a, a little stone, like like a rock. 
it's uh, I read somewhere that it takes two men to lift. Um, the fact that he survived as long as he did is almost hard to believe. And I think it just adds to the lore of Giles Corey, the fact that this man withstood basically two full days of torture. And it's around noon on that third day, so that's September, September 19th, yep. that he is officially killed. Or dies. It's this, the whole thing is a little weird. And, and we get into some kind of murky waters at, at this point on, on what's going on. Uh, he has hundreds of pounds of stones on him. And there are hundreds of people watching. We get reports uh, his head uh, is red and swollen, blood from his ears and eyes. Uh, he'd had, I, I read, a, a, a crust of bread and a sip of water each day. Like the worst of the worst. Yeah, like if you're yeah, going to yeah, give him yeah. any type of sustenance, it's going to be the worst type of sustenance you could give him. So he's dehydrated, he's hungry, he's tired. Uh, the, I can only imagine, like we, we know what his head looked like. like, they've described that, what the rest of his, his ribs, his hips, his knees, his feet, like hundreds of crack, I mean, he could not have, blows my mind. Robert Califf records in his book, More Wonders of the Invisible World, that Giles Corey's tongue was pressed out mm -hmm. of his mouth and that Sheriff George Corwin took his cane, Giles's cane, and pushes the tongue back in. I read somewhere, this isn't recently, that he was standing on the rocks when he did it. I've also heard that interpretation as well, and that's yeah. actually an interpretation that I perpetuate in my tours. So Sheriff Corwin is the one who finally ends his life, or at least is, is there at the end. It's said that he is buried right about where the pressing takes place, although there is dispute over that. Because he volunteered or... Uh, because he was never found guilty. So he was excommunicated. Yeah, but like not um, found guilty by right. the court. So so he would he would have likely been put in a some sort of a pauper's grave, some sort of a, a not in a... In an area, and I've read several times that he he's not there at all, that he was put somewhere totally different uh, because uh, they viewed what he had done likely as like a suicide. He had agreed to it. Yeah. So by that point, that is religiously negligent. And right. he would not have been in any sacred ground or anywhere like that. So, yeah, at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know. You know, he might be buried somewhere on the grounds of Howard Street Cemetery. He could be under the parking lot of the uh, St. John's Church right there. Or the parking lot where we all park behind the mall. Or in a totally other part of town. I, I can't remember where the, um, there was another. I think I did read that. There was like a, a space, like a crevice between um, Peabody area and Salem That was town. sort of reserved for people like that. Um, but we don't know where these sort of places are or where he may have ended up. Uh, but he does die on the 19th of September, 1692. And his final words were? More weight. We all know those iconic words. More weight. And we've seen it in the Crucible, and you, you've read about it in here. You've seen it on TV. Very defiant. Yeah. So on my tours, I ask folks to tell me that. Like I say... 
And his final words were, and then folks will say, more weight. And I had an English woman on tour, and she's a little bit younger. And she goes, she raises her hand. She says, more stones, please. <laughs> how how like, very English. Oh, my goodness. I can't even, like, that, that's cute. How did you make it cute? Because <laughs> they're English. They're very good at that. I appreciated the please after. Um, so it's uh, it's funny. Um. The way I tell it uh, is, and I say, you know, and, and at the end of it, Giles Corey, sorry, hold on. Uh, Sheriff Corey shoves his tongue back in his mouth before he, uh, he speaks you know, his final two words. And I give it a pause and I say, more weight, right? And you can see some people know it, something like, but uh, getting back to the, the um, two people who took our tours and Mike's tour, Mike gets into it. Right? Have you? Do you remember? He's and Giles Corey with the weight in his last word. More weight. <laughs> like in the back. That, that's my. That's my doctor. That's Bitcoin great. Impression. I'm usually moved on by that yeah. point. Like it's funny during this talk of Giles Corey, all three of us, you, me, and Mike, are, are within like. 50 yards of each other and sometimes we're all there at the very yeah, same yeah. time and it's quite funny you can hear as i move on to my next spot i will hear mike start talking about giles Corey. it's like oh perfect timing so it's all all a little different more weight and that's just about all we have for fact when it comes to giles Corey. there's uh stories go beyond uh the, the historical uh, accounts of what happened that day into some some local legends and curses and we got to talk about the curse the curse the curse of Giles Corey before we do though just to wrap up this will as we said signal a bit of a turning point in the trials and this is where public opinion really starts turning against the court of Oyer and Terminer I will also mention that his excommunication from the church is reversed in 1712 so of course this is a good like 15 years or so after the trials took place but his excommunication is reversed. I did not see one for Martha. No, so I, it, I did not either. It did seem like he got a little bit better treatment post-trials than she did, which is surprising because he himself is technically the murderer. But he's also not a witch. And he's a man, so. Yeah, he so he wasn't found guilty, of which is one thing that also, by the way, through all this, just remember, he never went to court, never went to trial. He never was found guilty of being a witch. So all of those things are are not applied to him. Just all other strange and weird things. And before we move on, I do want to talk about property seizure for a second uh, here. Okay. Because okay. A, a lot of that a lot of what contributes to his legend and this whole lore behind his pressing and saying more weight, refusing to plea, it's this idea that if he did not go to trial, he was not found guilty, the court could not take his property. And I think a lot of people come into the Salem Witch Trials story thinking that this whole thing is a big land grab. If you accuse someone, you can just take their stuff. And that really was not how it went at, at all. At all. At all. So according to English law, English common law, before the colonies, if you were found guilty of a capital crime... They did have the right to seize all of your worldly possessions and your property that would be forfeited to the crown. 
But since coming over to the colonies, of course, a lot of these people, they've only been here for a generation or two. They're, they're not adhering to the same laws. They've kind of constructed this hybrid law where if you are found guilty of a capital crime, they have the right to go and seize your worldly possessions. And that includes just your things. Property is things you own, right? Like if you own a shirt, that's your property. If you own a cart or a wool cloak or boots or a table, pots, pans, that is all your property. Cattle, any type of live, livestock. Uh, if you run a tavern like the proctors did, any of the, the materials inside that also subject to confiscation. But that was what was happening. If you were accused and you were found guilty, the sheriff, oftentimes it was the sheriff, George Corwin, would go and confiscate your worldly possessions. So, But not your actual land. Land is different. Land is different. Now, a few things here, not to clarify, just to expand on. Even if, even if they were taking your land... You making the accusation would not be the one to get it. Right. So it was going to go to the crown, right. not and the accuser. That So then that would have been the government in some way. Sometimes that would be auctioned off or resold. Would the people with the more money or wealth be able to get that first grabs? Like, yeah, prob- probably. But it's not like if I accuse my neighbor, all of a sudden they're like, ah, oh, well, congratulations. You found a witch. Here's your neighbor's property. That is... Never. You found a witch. Here you go. That's not conceivable in any way. The only thing, the only way that that could have possibly happened was if they had occurred such significant fines and they had no family, no will, no heir, and at the end of it, what they owed equaled more than what the entire amount of their possessions and land did then maybe the government could have made an argument to seize that, and then that property would have then gone to auction. And then if you had had the funds to then purchase it from auction, then maybe you could get it. The, 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 the rings that you have to jump through, it's not, it's not. A lot of these folks, because they are racking up those hefty jail bills, they do have to start selling off their property, yes, which like is, pe- like parcels of parcels of their land, some of their livestock, their worldly possessions, just to pay off those debts. And oftentimes, it was done at a low price. And yes, we say that they weren't confiscating property towards the end of this when it's at its peak. The rules were being muddled yeah. for sure. Well, Sheriff Corwin would also skim off the top or pretty. Uh, you know, so if you owed 10 pounds, which is the equivalent to, you know, whatever that is, you know, some some cattle and a cart, he'd be like, well, you know, actually the carts decreased in value. So uh, maybe if you throw in an, an extra uh, whatever, and then he'd, of course, skim off the top and keep that for himself. Um, but no, uh, Giles Corey had uh, taken care of his will, taken care of his heirs. Uh, they were going to get his land. That's that's how that went. That's not that's not exactly how it went, though. <laughs> I'm just saying, Sheriff Corwin will still try. Yeah, he will go to the Corey farm and he takes a bunch of stuff. And 
Uh, no, he extorts the Corey family for money. They bribe him to leave them alone. I've got, I got something to read. This is probably one of my favorite pieces of research that I came across during this. This is a direct plea for aid from his daughter, Elizabeth. So that's another thing, too. Remember, he, he may have had a son with his second wife. J- Jonathan. Right, but he... He pushed out, his wife pushed out four <laughs> four daughters yeah. from that first marriage. So a lot of this land, if I recall correctly, he was hoping to will off to his son-in-laws because, mm-hmm. you know, women can't technically inherit land from their fathers. The following is the petition of Elizabeth Corey, daughter of Giles Corey, for aid. To the Honorable Committee appointed by the general court to make inquire with respect to the sufferings in the year of 1692. These are to give you a short account of our sorrows and sufferings. Sometime in March, our honored father and mother, Giles Corey and Martha, his wife, were accused for supposed witchcraft and imprisoned and were removed from one prison to another, as from Salem to Ipswich, from Ipswich to Boston, and from Boston to Salem again, and so remained in close imprisonment for about four months. We were at the whole charge of their maintenance, which further added both to our trouble and charge. And although that was very great, it is the least of our grievances or a cause of these lines. But that which breaks our hearts, for which we go a morning still is that our father was put to so cruel and painful a death as being pressed to death. Our mother was put to death also, as we cannot sufficiently express our grief for the loss of our father and mother in such a way, so we cannot compute our expenses and cost, but shall count to your wisdom to judge of. But after our father's death, the sheriff threatened to seize our father's estate, and for fear thereof, we complied with him and paid him 11 pounds, six shillings in money, by all which we have been exposed to sell creatures and all other things for a little more than half the worth of them to get the money to pay as foresaid and to maintain our father and mother in prison. We are not only impoverished, but also reproached. We cannot judge our necessary expense to be less than 10 pounds. We subscribe your humble servants in all Christian obedience. Elizabeth Corey, daughter of Giles Corey, on behalf of the rest of the family. And this was presented September 13th, 1710. So George Corwin went to the estate, demanded payment, and they basically bribed him to move on and to leave them alone. Even though Giles was never convicted, they still went to those lengths. Yay, Puritans. I do think her submission also does a really good job of painting the grief. Like these people, this is more than 20 years later. And these folks are still living with that horrid memory of their parents being executed. So shall we talk about the curse? So at some point during the 17th, 18th, and 19th, it is is said, whispered, rumored, 
that Giles Corey cursed Salem to burn and cursed Sheriff Corwin to die. I curse you, Corwin, and I curse Salem. Now, whether or not he said those words, we really can't say. I wasn't there. We weren't there. There's no record of it. There is no written record of it, but it It is is quite the legend. Yeah, it is said. It is very commonly known um, that that this is what he said, and uh, obviously uh, Sheriff Corwin dies. I mean, we all die, Uh, but he dies he dies early. Yeah. He dies before he's 30. Age 29. Done. Drops dead. Of some type of ailment. Yeah. Heart attack. Very abrupt. And it is said that every sheriff to come after him would die in a similar matter. Now, we know this because a sheriff in the 70s, supposedly, this is this is where the story really stems from, There was a sheriff in the 70s. I believe his name was Robert Cahill. 81. That's weird. I think I read that he was in his 40s. No, no, no. 19. Oh. oh. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in 81 is when he retires. Mm -hmm. Uh, He experienced a heart attack, a stroke, and he was diagnosed with some type of blood ailment. And it was he who kind of pursued this, the legend of the curse and the rumors that he had heard. And he starts doing the research and he starts peeling back the layers of every sheriff that had preceded him. And sure enough, each one has been forced out of office or died in office because of some similar affliction heart related issue heart or blood related issue he had a, a, a blood disease and then i guess that the guy before him had a heart attack and i guess the guy before him's father uh had been sheriff and he had a heart attack and uh and i guess it went back for for a couple generations i guess the curse has been said to have lifted once the old salem jail shut down So not the dungeon that the accused were held in, but just adjacent to the jail, about a block down, not even. interesting. I'd heard a little different. See, this is... Really? So when the the sheriff is no longer here in Salem, the Essex County Sheriff. Right, that's the same timing. Like like right about 1991. Yeah, so so Sheriff Corwin is the high sheriff of Essex County. Salem is in Essex County. So the sheriff's office used to be in Salem. It is now... Try not to get confused. It is now in the town of Essex. I read that it moved to Middleton. Middleton? I think it's in Essex. I mean, we could Google it. We could Google it. <laughs> Let's not. It's, it's more fun this way. <laughs> but supposedly, that's that's when the curse yeah. lifted. In addition to those sheriffs dying, Giles Corey's specter. Oh, no, you're right. It's in Middleton. I did Google it. Ha-ha! There we go. Sorry. <laughs> But in addition to those those sheriffs being, you know, forced out of office, there is a rumor, a legend that is that permeates through Salem about Giles Corey's ghost being spotted before any type of tragedy happens. For example, the Great Fire of 1914, which we talked about in depth. And we know how it started, but we also know where it started, right about 
the spot of executions. Of course, during 1914, that's just a bunch of factories. And we, we learned about how the tannery caught on fire. It was a very dry couple months and that fire will spread. But it's said that the night prior, Giles Corey's ghost was seen in the area of Howard Street Cemetery, which is why that's where a lot of people believe his pressing took place. Now, I've never seen him. And I and I had a young girl on tour this week. She's like, have you ever seen any ghosts? Are the, the burying points, the cemeteries, are they scary? Will we see something? And I had to tell her, I'm so sorry, but I have walked these streets at 3 a.m., and I have gone up to all the cemeteries. Give me something. Giles, are you out there? Nothing happens. I have never seen a thing. Mate, mate, who someone someone has. If you've ever seen the ghost of Giles Corey, please write us an email. Or pictures. Send us a picture. Yeah, better yet, send us a picture. Yeah. I've heard a few things. I've seen I've I've heard that he's been seen there. Uh the courtyard of the jail, or what would have been the courtyard of the jail. I've also heard, and this is like taking it eighteen steps too far, uh, that the ghost of Giles Corey has been seen as a precursor to other events. Yeah. Like all sorts of whatever. I'd heard pre-September 11th. I'd heard pre-Bob. You've, wait, what? I, not, not like from a credible. This what? Is, no, no. This is literally just like all sorts of things. And someone's like, oh, I heard, you know, and again, wow. it, you end up in like a local bar with local who are like, oh, I heard, you know, what, you know how it goes. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I've never heard him warning us of September 11th. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard a lot. It's, but again, and it's one of these local legends. Did he do it? And I, I don't know. Uh, could he have very possibly, knowing the mouth he had on him, knowing uh, how he'd sat there for two days, very likely he could have uh, said something along those lines. We can't know. Can't be there. No. But it makes for an interesting story, nonetheless, and a legend that will probably be around for a very, very long time. I mean, if, time. We, if, if the tour guides in Salem have anything to say about it, it'll absolutely... It'll last forever. Yeah, yeah. Was the ghost of Giles Corey seen the night before the great fire of Salem? Yes, he was. <laughs> More wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> I curse you, Sheriff Corwin. And I curse Salem, too. Are we done? Is that it? Can we just cut it off there? I have one more little poem to read. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. You would said. Do you want to come join me on my mic? Okay, okay. That way I don't have to, like, pass it back and forth. I am leaving my spot. <laughs> Bring your chair over here. There was no author for it, but it came out in the mid-1800s, so several centuries post Corey's execution. It's called The Man of Iron. Not Tony. <laughs> Not Tony Stark. That's funny. <laughs> Dude, do you want to you start? What is this? Giles Corey was a wizard strong, a stubborn wretch was he, and fit was he to hang on high upon the locust tree. So when before the magistrates for trial he did come, he would no true confession make, but was completely dumb. Giles Corey, said the magistrates, what hast thou here to plead to those who now accuse thy should of crime and horrid deed? Giles Corey, he said, not a word, no single word spoke he. Giles Corey, said the magistrate, will press it out of thee. 
They got them then a heavy beam and laid it on his breast. They loaded it with heavy stones and hard upon him pressed. More weight, now said this wretched man. More weight, again he cried. And he did no confession make, but wickedly he died. What do you think? I like it. (laughs) The locust trees, an interesting... I know, I saw that and I was like, gosh, we're just going to contribute to people thinking that it is the locust trees that they were hanged on. But just to reiterate, probably not the case. I, I, I wonder I wonder if there's a there's got to be a, a correlation. That's not a coincidence. That's a great poem. I like that. Giles Corey, he will live on for many centuries to come. And you can see him peppered throughout literature on yeah. witch trials. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> peppered. <laughs> not haunted, though. I, I don't know. If it's Giles Corey, maybe he, cur- he cursed the pepper, too. He cursed the pepper. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Not only do we have haunted pepper, we have cursed pepper. If we ever get into the tunnels, we may find Giles Corey with his turtles under there. And pepper. And pepper. Pepper. Turtles are high on pepper. (laughs) Okay, we're done. We should should cut this off. (laughs) That's it. We're done. Say your line. Thanks for listening. See you later.